0: This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between.
1: In its simplest terms, farming is all about the ability to manage your produce and how much you produce. But tracking the differences between those two things is far more complicated. That's why FCC has continuously refined the AgExpert platform to be Canada's most trusted farm management software. AgExpert simplifies the entire process of record keeping from field to finance and keeps you on top of it all, no matter where you are. Get started for free at agexpert.ca.
0: Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I'll be your host for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Clint Yerke, He is the agronomy director for the Canola Council of Canada. Clint, welcome to Inputs.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Very happy to be here, Dylan.
0: And we are very glad to have you here because we want to kind of throw an episode out there kind of talking about the agronomy of canola and kind of what in this early season time period that we're in for the growing season for 2022, what kind of uh, trends that canola growers should be aware of and what's kind of happening, uh, not just regionally within one province, but kind of just all over the wonderful, uh, country that we have for, uh, canola growing regions. But before that, I just want to touch on specifically, uh, who you work for and kind of, uh, what they do. So could you just talk about what the canola council is and what kind of role that they play for Canadian canola agriculture?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Canola Council of Canada, we're a, a national trade association, a, a nonprofit, and our, our membership is made up of uh, farmers, uh, life science companies, uh, exporters and processors. So we we represent the entire value chain. But uh, I know that when when I talk to farmers and that they uh, There's sometimes some confusion between the Canola Council and and some of the uh, regional Canola Grower Associations, such as Alberta Canola, Sask Canola, Manitoba Canola Growers Association, and even the Canadian Canola Growers Association. We sometimes refer to ourselves as as one big canola family, but um, the the difference between the organization I work for, uh, we represent the entire value chain. So not just farmers, but uh, the the technology developers and and those that are processing and, and moving the canola products uh, within and outside of Canada. So our role at, at the Canola Council to like we we work for the entire canola uh, industry, um, but I'd like to think of it that we that we have two basic jobs uh, at, at the council. One is is to make sure that we have markets where we can sell our canola uh, seed to. So whether that's uh, domestic or, or international markets. So we, we have a team of individuals that, that do market development uh, within Canada and, and externally, and as well look after the market access issues to ensure that we can continue trading. Um, so that's one half of what, what we do at the Canola Council. The other half is, is to ensure that we're producing enough canola seeds to meet those demands. And, and that's where I sit with, with our, our team. We're on the crop production side. We we do everything that we can to make sure that farmers and agronomists and researchers all have the right tools to uh, to grow canola as productively and as efficiently and as profitably and sustainably as, as possible.
0: You kind of hit all three important things right there at the end, you know, sustainably, economically, like just in the amount of uh, kind of canola that both the growers are able to make, but also that the buyers at the end that they kind of need for the demand. So it sounds all fantastic. So uh, why we brought you in today is to just kind of talk about the growing season that we're currently in. I know we're just in early June, but that's Mm -hmm. that's a long time for considering just the different growing regions that we have. So can you just talk about in general how this year has been going so far maybe touch on how many acres that we know that have been planted Uh,
1: before the uh, the season started the expectations were that um, the the canola seeded acres, at least the intentions were that we would see similar acreage to what we've seen in the past couple years so in that 20 21 22 million uh, acre uh, range and that but Certainly, Mother Nature seems to throw curveballs at us uh, every year, and this year's no exception. And for the folks that are in the eastern part of the prairies, so Manitoba and, and that southeast corner of Saskatchewan, uh, they've they've been dealing with uh, some pretty excessive amounts of, of rainfall here, right from April to till current. Like, uh, I was just speaking to a fellow out north uh, east of Winnipeg here earlier this morning, and he said that over the past few days he got five inches of rain. That that's pretty crazy. Where I am, I'm I'm located in Lloydminster, so on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan, and we're sitting at about two inches of rainfall uh, since the beginning of, of April. So it's it's kind of normal for for what is expected in in this region, but um, then as you go further to the northwest again into the Peace River, uh, the North Peace, they're they're dealing with some similar conditions to what they're dealing with in. Uh, in manitoba and eastern saskatchewan with excess moisture so we're we're dealing with the full spectrum of too wet and then even down to too dry uh, southern alberta it's kind of that central corridor uh, on the eastern side of uh, alberta still is, is fairly dry there and uh so it's it's been a challenge i would say that in terms of uh, uh the amount of crop that's in the ground uh right now Alberta and most of Saskatchewan, I would say, are probably where they, they intended to be. But it's that uh, eastern corner of Saskatchewan and Manitoba that are way behind. Um, some of the reports that I'm getting in are the seeding overall for, for Manitoba is maybe 50%. But um, how much of that is, is canola? I, we, don't, we don't really have a good handle on that at this point in time
0: so that it seems kind of funny that like just within one province like looking at Alberta, you can be on the the both sides of the spectrum you know not enough not enough moisture too much moisture so in both those scenarios i guess in just in general for weather how does that affect seeding or perhaps that early growth for canola like are we kind of hoping for um Differences just in how the the seeds are going to come out of the ground, or is it just that if there's too much moisture, like producers came and go out and actually seed anything?
1: Yeah, yeah. When your field is a lake, it's it's pretty tough to to even think about seeding. And I, I know that there are some growers that are talking about uh, broadcasting, and and this even goes back a few years ago that we we'd heard of folks looking at if they could seed by airplane or by helicopter just to even get the 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 soil, the the seed to touch the ground in some fashion or another and, and then hope for the best that things would start drying out so that the crop could uh, could grow yeah when when you're dealing with excess moisture like that it's it's really tough um, yeah, even if the 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 the, uh, the seeds germinate uh, canola does not like excessively wet conditions it the 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 soil needs to have oxygen there for for those roots to to develop and waterlogged soils are, are just very inconducive uh, altogether and then the, the other side as you, as you said in the extreme dry like uh south of highway 1 in uh, southern alberta has has been pretty dry for the last 5 years really and uh, this year's is no exception and so you're just hoping that you can get just a little bit of moisture just to uh get uh that that seed established so that that it can even uh, begin so yeah, we're, we're seeing the full spectrum from, from one end to the other. And um, hopefully the, those that are in the middle and that will we'll have <laughs> a good crop that might be able to carry our, our production goals for, for the industry through because, um, yeah, too wet and too dry is, is uh, not going to be uh, really good for our overall uh, targets or in terms of production. Typical
0: Goldilocks and the three bears scenario that yep. uh, no one likes to really be playing right now. Yeah. Um. And I like how we, this kind of flows right into talking about how drought has uh, kind of been impacting, uh, overall the entire country. And I just want to touch on how perhaps the drought that many producers had to go through last year, how that's kind of playing into, uh, into importance for the growing conditions for this year. So, how have, have we or do we have an idea of how? how important that drought was last year and how it's playing into uh, canola seeding and the early growth that we're seeing from uh, farmers right now?
1: Yeah, the drought was, was a bad one uh, by a, a lot of estimations that speaking to meteorologists and, and some climatologists that the drought that we went through last year may have been the worst in a in hundred years. So certainly during modern agricultural times, like we, we may have just went through the worst and, and uh, I, I guess there there is some cause to have some optimism out of that, just for the fact that that we were still able to produce a pretty reasonable crop, like uh, despite those those conditions. And so um, we know that we we learned a few things uh, from that. And your question in particular is is how does how does the drought from last year have have an impact upon us this year? Well, in certainly parts of Southern Alberta and that they're still dealing with, <laughs> with, with these ex- excessively dry conditions. And they didn't see a, a very much of a snowpack through the winter to really, uh, add back to that subsoil level, uh, surface, uh, water. And so that is still persisting. And, and so we're, we're going to see some effects from that. But what we did learn is, um, some of the lessons that, that we, we've been constantly learning over, over the, uh, well, it's ever since the 80s, I, I would say, just the value of, of direct seeding and minimum and zero till really showed a, a big benefit in the, in the last year. Like uh, it wasn't very difficult for us to, to uh, go out to different uh, farmer's fields and, and see huge differences side by side just in um, the agronomic choices that producers made, particularly with, with tillage. Uh, growers that had uh, high levels of, of tillage uh, leading into the seeding season last year really struggled uh, to have a, a, a reasonable crop despite the, the dry conditions, compared to those that were in, a, in a more of a zero till. So like, that showed a, a lot of benefit for us as, as an industry overall. But uh, you were asking again, what were the uh, what were some of the carryover effects of, of that? So yeah, the dry soils are still there in, in some parts of, of uh, South Saskatchewan and Alberta, but we also saw another uh, situation that we don't often see, which is uh, herbicide carryover issues. And, and so particularly the group two herbicides, uh, those that, that fall in the INI classes, uh, Imazimox, Imazimethapir, uh, Imazapir, Um there is certainly the potential that uh, acres that were sprayed with these herbicides uh, last year are potentially could be affecting the uh, acres this year, even if we are starting out with, with wetter conditions. So uh, there was a lot of talk about that over the winter months, uh, about uh, the crops that you really needed to watch out for in planting on, on uh, acres that were treated with these uh, herbicides. But um, I, I think that most growers are, have made the right decisions. We haven't really heard uh, too many situations where growers are not aware of the, of the situation and what they needed to do to, to try minimizing those impacts. So that's certainly one of the things that we'll be watching out for this year to make sure that um, growers are making the right choice to uh, watch the rotations with crops and, and with the herbicide uh, residuals that, that possibly could be there.
0: And just before that, we kind of leave talking about herbicide carryover because that is quite important. And you're you're definitely right. It's it seems like that was something that growers even before the season would be kind of more cognizant and aware of. But if anyone was still looking for uh, kind of more information on this, uh, is there uh, kind of tables on the on the canola council website, or where can growers go to to find more information?
1: Yeah, actually, the the best sources of information on this is are, are to go back to the herbicide manufacturers themselves. Like they've been doing a, actually a, a really excellent job at, at tracking uh, rainfall patterns and, and knowing which regions are of particular risk for the over of, of these. And, and so if you are a producer that, that did use uh, any of the ME class herbicides last year, if you haven't talked to uh, the, the manufacturers, I, I would certainly encourage you to to do so now but I guess the likelihood might be that the crop's already in the ground and so then you'll have to really be doing a good job watching and, and scouting for for any issues in that but um, I, I'd say the the herbicide manufacturers is, is the best place to uh, to get information on that.
0: Speaking of scouting uh, I know we're quite early into the season but I want to go and touch on a few of the other challenges that producers might have already been facing are we getting any reports of uh, or any hotspots of different diseases or fungal infections um, going into I guess June now
1: yeah it's it's a little early to tell uh, for uh, seedling diseases um, at at this point Um, usually we 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 see the impacts of them uh, about three weeks four weeks after seeding Uh, once the the crop is is supposed to be out of the ground and it's not out of the ground, um, that's usually a sign that there there may have been something that was at play uh, underneath the soil surface. Um, I I would say for for the producers that are planting into extremely wet soils, that there is uh, a higher risk of of some of these seedling diseases uh, being an issue. Um, Anytime that the crop is stressed, anything that slows the crop down is slow growing uh, like oftentimes we, we do seed seedling diseases more often in, in cold wet soils. so growers that are seeding really early in the season maybe into excessively wet soils that sit there at three degrees four degrees celsius and then uh, then they start rotting uh, as seed or as, as seedlings as they come up but uh, this this year, I guess in uh, the eastern parts of the prairies, uh, given that um, a lot of the crop potentially hasn't been seeded and is going to go into some really wet soils, the, the saving grace might be that the soils are a little warmer so the crop might get well-established uh, and maybe get ahead of, of those diseases. But I, I would certainly encourage growers that if your canola is up out of the ground um, to take a close look at the seedlings, uh, take a look at the at the base of the plants, Um, even scratch around within the rows. If there are some blank spots within within a row where there should be some plants and there aren't, do some digging and and see if you can identify if that seed has germinated and where that that plantlet might be. Uh, With the seed treatments that we have, they usually do a good job at controlling the the three big seedling diseases that we typically see, which are uh, Pythium, fusarium and rhizoctonia. But that being said, like these, um, these fungicides, uh, they are designed to, well, they control as much as they can, but they're, they're not giving you perfect um, immunity or perfect control over, over everything. So there's always going to be escapes. And there's also a window in which that they are effective, usually in that three to four week uh, range. And then after that, the, the fungicide component doesn't uh, linger for much longer after that. So um, scout for that. And we, we actually on our website, we, we have a, a new infographic. I think that does a really nice job at explaining the differences between these three classes of, of uh, s- uh, seedling rots, uh, Pythium, Fusarium and Rhizoctonia, what the differences are, how they kind of work, what are the conditions that uh, one is favored over over another. But understanding that usually helps you in planning for the next time that you're growing a canola crop. The better you can understand the risks, I think the better you can actually manage them overall. So, yeah, it's it's a little early to, to be picking up on them. But I would say in the next week or so, uh, especially for the crops that, that are coming up out of the ground, take a, take a close look for those, those uh, diseases.
0: But oh, bugs... Wow. Yeah, Hugs
1: are the
0: other one. <laughs> I was just gonna say, while uh, while these producers might be scouting for, uh, yeah, different kind of seedling uh, rot diseases, uh, what kind of insects should they also be on the look for? I I have two in my mind that might be related, but I'm well aware that there's probably a few others that I might be missing here. Well, yeah,
1: the the, the big one is is flea beetles. And I would say that uh, flea beetles should be the number one thing that is being scouted for right now of, of any of the arthropods that, that are potentially going to cause problems. Uh, in, in fact, I'd say that flea beetles are a bigger risk than, than the seedling diseases uh, right now. Like, As soon as those cotyledons are above the soil surface, they're, they're at risk for, for flea beetle feeding. And, and so there there are some newer um, insecticides that that are now added to the uh, uh, to the, the seed dressings that that we have that are providing some better control, um, but that doesn't mean that that uh, that one should not be scouting even if one does have buteo or lumiderm or whatever on on their uh, seed treatment. You need to need to be looking now as soon as the crop comes up, and Keep a close eye like if you're not checking on a daily basis, uh, certainly check every couple of days to to really assess how much feeding is is happening. Because flea beetles can go. uh, Well, they they can they can jump from 25% damage to 50% damage within a day, if uh, if one isn't um, keeping a close eye on things. But. With good moisture and good soil temperatures and good air temperatures the canola crop will advance really quickly and the the question is is whether it'll outgrow any of the the flea beetle damage that uh, that is currently being experienced so those are the ones to watch out for now certainly right now
0: yeah i didn't really want to say the flea beetle name because that kind of feels like i'm calling them upon them to drop onto (laughs) canola fields but uh But yeah, it just seems every single year that flea beetles are are out and about at this time of year. And it's 100% important, just like you were saying, to to kind of go out there and scout and make sure that you know that uh, your your little seedlings, as soon as they germinate, aren't just getting absolutely bombarded by one or, or both species.
1: Yeah, and it, it seems like... Um every year it's it's a different area that's that is experiencing a, a flea beetle problem and and, and from what i, I can understand is, is that there isn't really a good correlation between uh fall populations of, of flea beetles and, and what is experienced the, the next spring it's just it's it's kind of a crapshoot but like i know that that uh, growers can get pretty gun shy as well like if you've had bad flea beetles once then <laughs> The, the next uh, year and the next couple of years, you're certainly going to be out looking more closely for them and maybe taking more preemptive preemptive uh, control strategies or prophylactic controls that uh, maybe aren't always uh, necessary. I, I, I do know that where I am locally, that there are a couple of fields that are already being reseeded for, for flea beetles, which really surprises me. But we, we did have a little bit of a, an outbreak in um, in this region uh, last year as well, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like um, if, if the bugs are at threshold, which is 25% chewing damage. And, and, and if you are really inclined to, uh, to get a key as to how to assess exactly 25%, we we do have some keys on the the Canola Council website to, to help you out with that process, but that's the threshold and Spraying at ten percent or fifteen percent may not be the most uh, well. That it won't be the most cost-effective uh, solution. Like the the twenty-five percent threshold is is twenty-five percent because that's where the the economic benefit actually uh, comes into play.
0: For sure, those thresholds are are there for a reason and it's it's kind of yeah like how you're talking about trying not to for producers to just kind of go out and go guns a-blazing even though that they have a recent memory of a of a past flea beetle uh infection or population so as we kind of go throughout the growing season i don't want to jump too far ahead like to you know a couple months but let's just say in july what should growers at this point in time what they should be looking out for um, cause our cutworms kind of coming out here in, at this time and starting to be more of a problem or what kind of other diseases or fungal infections might be at play here?
1: Well, actually, yeah, before we get to July, like, uh, you, you, you mentioned cutworms and so th- they're the other, uh, big insect that, that we're of, cons- that we're concerned about at, at this time of year. Uh, usually we, we started seeing damage when the crop is at the two, three, four leaf stage, because that's usually when it's evident that you start to see rows that were there the last time you're in the field that are no longer there now. And um, so, yeah, that, that should definitely be part of the, the, the scouting regime is just to, to really take a close look at, at missing plants in, in, the, in those rows. Um, but once we do get closer to July, like we will, June is largely weed control month and maybe some uh, insect controls. But uh, as we get to flowering, then that sclerotinia decision needs to be made. I wouldn't mind making a bit of a plug for any growers or agronomists that are interested in uh, helping us develop a a new sclerotinia prediction tool. We we have an app that we're beta testing right now. and We we need about 300 fields across the prairies where growers or agronomists have gone in and assessed the field for for the risk of sclerotinia, and then later on, in, at the end of the season, uh, go back out and, and uh, evaluate how much sclerotinia was actually uh, was seen in that field, and and that'll that'll help us build an algorithm that is more effective at, at predicting sclerotinia. That's a lot of producers describe that as the the hardest choice in the in the canola growing season is is deciding whether to spray for sclerotinia or not. So. Beginning of July, once the, the first flowers come out, uh, you, you'll need to spend a bit of time walking through your canola crop to assess how wet it is. Uh, you could even send away some petal samples for to see how much of the sclerotinia pathogen is there. And then you got to do some weather prediction to to determine how uh, how much uh, chance of, of more rainfall is, is going to occur that will uh, carry that disease forward. Sclerotinia is, is the one pathogen that just loves moisture. And so it's probably no surprise that last year we didn't see any sclerotinia at all anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, But this year, in, in order to, to develop this uh, application that this sclerotinia prediction app, um, we're hoping that we'll get a little bit of sclerotinia uh, out there. So if anyone's really interested in that, uh, feel free to, to reach out to, to me uh, here at the, at the Canola Council. Uh, you can just contact our general office and they'll point you in the right direction. But um, that's, that's the one kind of exciting tool that, that we're in the process of, of building now for the industry. And hopefully that will it'll give us a much better way of, of managing this uh, disease. So that's July. And then once you're, you're past the 50% flowering stage, uh, it's a good time to go to the lake and get, uh, get some fishing in relax a little bit before you have to start uh, scouting at the end of the season for, for other insects and, uh, and uh, make your swathing decision.
0: That might be the best plug that I've heard for a a mental health break, you know, a little, a little rest and a little R and R let's say from the field before you have to really go back and, and uh, finish strong. This was fantastic, and a whole bunch of great information for our listeners, just about what to kind of expect around this time within their field, and also a little bit more in the future. And just before we go, and you just talked about the sclerotina kind of predicting app that you're working on. That sounds fantastic. But is there anything else from the canola council that you'd like to share? Other. Uh, potential things that you're kind of looking for yeah. input on, or just other research and highlights that you've been able to uh, put out in the last uh, year or so.
1: That's a that's a good point. Uh, we ha- we have a quite a wealth of tools that that are available on our on our website. Um, we also have uh, kind of a, a tool page called the Canola Calculator, and. and it's remiss to mention this, but uh, the the scouting that that uh, if you are a producer or an agronomist that you will be doing now and and for the next couple of weeks, so assessing plant stands, uh, trying to determine whether or not that uh, the, the seeding operation was actually successful, and we we have a tool for that called uh, uh, Canola Counts, and it's it's a it's a crowdsource tool where uh, if you are in the fields just enter in the the data what was the seeding rate what is the actual plants that are that are there um, this will as well give everybody that uses this uh, application a, a snapshot of of how other producers and other agronomists in the region what what their plant stands have been um, so we, we produce maps at the end of the year that shows where different regions have had good success with establishing the crop versus others that may have not been so successful. So this will tell you your your relative success. So that's a pretty cool tool I, I would encourage everybody to to use. But our our main vehicle for all of our agronomic information is, is our weekly newsletter, which is called Canola Watch. And if you're not signed up for it, I, I highly recommend you to do that because it's It's all science based agronomic information we don't sell anything there's, there's no ads there's we're not promoting any product over over another we're we're just promoting good management practices, or the best management practices that 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 we know of at least that the research uh, points to so Just Google Canola Watch or go to canolawatch.org and sign up and uh, you'll receive the best, most timely information as to how to be successful growing canola in your area. I'd say sign up for that. And we we do put on one big agronomic event at the end of the year. It's called uh, Canola Week. It's pretty heavy on on the uh, latest canola research and science, but there's also quite a bit of content as to how the industry is doing. Uh, overall, how trade is, uh, what are the new markets, uh, what are the new products that uh, is coming out of out of canola oil and canola meal, what is the latest health information. So all of that happens December 6th to 8th. And uh, we're, we're going to try doing a, a live event again in Saskatoon, uh, but it's going to be pretty limited attendance for for the live version. So if you are interested in it, I'd recommend to just keep an eye on the Canola Council's website and sign up as soon as the registration link opens, which I think will be next month and that will be uh, another great opportunity to get the latest and greatest information on how to grow canola.
0: Fantastic, well, thanks for sharing all of that. It seems like uh, anyone listening that hasn't already subscribed or looked at the Canola Council, seems like they'll, they'll have their hands full of uh, different fantastic tools that they can use to really boost their uh, canola growing uh, expertise for this growing season. Yeah. So, Clint, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Inputs, this was fantastic. And uh, just before we go, uh, where can people contact you?
1: The, uh, the best place would be just to go to the Canola Council website on our staff page It has a complete list of uh, my contacts, all of the staff, but as well if you're interested in, in knowing who, who your local uh, Canola Council agronomy specialist is for your region or for your territory. Their contact information is is there, and they'll be able to help you walk through um, whatever issues that that you are. And one of the other key features that, like, I'm a part of a, a team of nine individuals um, that that uh, keep an eye on on the entire prairies. But we we also divide up our responsibilities in terms of uh, that we each champion different areas of, of production. So we have. Marissa, who's, who's in Alberta, is, is our club root lead. So if you're in Saskatchewan and you have some really tough club root questions, well, reach out to, uh, to Marissa. As she would be able to help you out. And so we, we try to divide up all of our responsibilities so that each of us specialize in, in different areas of, of canola production. So that's for the really tough questions.
0: And I'm sure people have those tough questions just ready to go. But again, Clint, uh, thank you for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, Dylan. Really uh, nice meeting you and, and very happy to be uh, on Inputs. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com
1: podcasts.